You're listening to Kilometer Zero by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. You know, that was an interesting year. I mean, there's been a lot of interesting years in this team, uh, a lot of years with, with existential crises going on. My biggest memory of the early part of 2012 was that, uh, you know, our bike sponsor, and at that point in time, co-title sponsor, Cervelo, had some very extreme difficulties and didn't appear like for, for a while that, that they would be able to fulfill the sponsorship obligation. January 2012, we, we didn't know, we were thinking we might have to shut the team down because one of our sponsors wasn't going to be around anymore. I don't know that the riders ever knew how close we were to, to just ceasing to operate that year. I mean, we, we were within hours of, uh, of just having to call it a day. That was Jonathan Vorters, the boss of the Garmin Barracuda team, which is now known as EF Education Easy Post, of course. It's hard to believe that in January 2012, the team stood on the brink of collapse, and yet five months later, were celebrating victory in the Giro d'Italia. My name is Lionel Burney, and in the next two episodes of Kilometre Zero, we're going to look back at one of the closest Grand Tours of all time, decided by just 16 seconds. It was a Giro characterised by a great clash of styles between the two protagonists who traded the pink jersey as if playing a frantic game of pass the parcel. Ryder Hazedal, the laid-back Canadian, was a diesel engine of a rider, and he was pitted against Purito, Joaquin Rodriguez, the Spaniard who was a jack-in-the-box who sprinted for bonus seconds almost as if it were an instinctive reaction. Think back to May 2012, before Bradley Wiggins won the Tour de France, before the London Olympic Games, and before Lance Armstrong became the disgraced Lance Armstrong. I do remember at our sort of pre-season camp in you know, November, December 2011, going into 2012, we sat Ryder down and said, you know, we want you to ride GC at the Giro, which he hated that idea. He was absolutely opposed to it because he wanted to ride the tour. You know, when we had our training camp in Denver the previous uh, autumn, that was also my first sort of pre-season training camp in this job. And we had the usual meetings with the riders. It was in that meeting that, uh, you know, Jonathan Vorters put to Ryder the idea of doing the Giro. Charlie Wigalius was only 34 years old, recently retired as a cyclist and very inexperienced as a sports director. This was his first Grand Tour in a team car. But he had lived and raced in Italy most of his pro career and knew the country and the Giro inside out. One Grand Tour, one win. He must have thought this team management lark was a piece of cake. He'd obviously given it a lot of thought. And I think that a lot of the inspiration behind that was the process that they'd gone through at Slipstream with Bradley Wiggins. And, you know, if Jonathan suggested that, I think that, you know, it wasn't just a shot in the dark. He'd given it some thought about what Ryder's capabilities were. And... I think, you know, from the moment that Ryder was into that and took it on board, then, you know, the possibility of doing really well was was obviously there. How many people thought about actually outright winning it, I don't know. We had just watched Ryder for a while. Now, Ryder is an immensely strong rider with recuperative abilities from day to day, unlike actually any rider I've ever seen except Pogachar. 
in a three-week tour, he it wasn't that he just declined less than the other riders. He actually would get stronger as the race went on. His body just could absorb workload uh, in, in a truly unbelievable way. I mean, I, it, was, it was amazing to watch. But he wasn't necessarily sort of that explosive at the start of a Grand Tour. And he really was not very good at, at positioning himself in the peloton for the first week of a Grand Tour. So in the Tour de France, uh, you know, the, like the year he was sixth overall in the Tour in 2010, it was such a struggle for us to keep him in position. I mean, the first week of the race, you know, if he, if he didn't lose 10 minutes being behind a crash, it was a miracle. Ryder, you know, we, we nicknamed him the legend just because he was in back all the way to 2004 when he first came over to Girona and when he's riding with the U.S. Postal. You know, he always, he knew what his capabilities were, but not necessarily being able to show them yet to anyone. This is one of the riders who played a key role in Hezudal's victory, the American Christian Vandervelde. You know, he came off as almost like, like he was almost too good for himself, that he wasn't, his mind hadn't, his body hadn't caught up with his mind of what he truly was capable of because he was so dominant in mountain biking, but he didn't understand how to translate that yet to road cycling. So after we got over that, he became one of my best friends when he came to Slipstream organization in 2008. He's just horizontal. You cannot hang out with a more chill guy than Ryder. It's, it's impossible. And during the, the Giro d'Italia, it was my chore and Robbie Hunter's to make sure that he was always at the front. Because if he didn't want to be at the front, which was 90% of the time, he'd be sitting at the back and just relaxing because he didn't want to be stressed, bro. Just chill out, man. We're just going to you know, try to get through this. Let's go. It's not, not worth fighting. And so you know, Robbie would take him by the scruff of the neck once in a while. Robbie, meet me at the front of the Peloton. Where's Ryder? I, was, I thought it was with you. No, I thought it was you. God damn it. And he'd, so you go right to the back of the pack and you know, take him. Literally, do just take him by by his jersey and just bring him back to the front. And so there was a little bit of that. And thank God we had Robbie Hunter there, who has a, a big personality and, and someone that Ryder definitely um, had respect for. So we thought that the Giro would be a better choice. So we knew if we could get him out of Denmark, which had started that year in Denmark in 2012, if we could get him out of Denmark, and, and it wasn't windy in Denmark, which was questionable. If we could get him out of there on par on gc that you know he could ride a a top 10 that was our goal you can you could get top 10 in the giro i I think a lot of it was that we really did convince him that it was going to be a a major goal of the year we never really talked about winning to be honest We we were talking more about top 10 top five but that we would surround him with guys that could that could really help out also, it's not that with Ryder and, and that recuperative ability that I was talking about and his, his, his excellent ability or his body's ability to regenerate, you know, he was totally capable of doing the Giro and the Tour. And, you know, the interesting thing, and he never quite got back to that point, but going into the 2012 Tour, and he crashed in that massacre of Mets, but going into the 2012 Tour after that Giro, he was stronger than he was in the Giro. I mean, had he not crashed in 2012, I... I mean, who knows what he actually would have done in the Tour de France that year. So you got to Denmark. Uh, it started in Herning, didn't it? And there were three stages in Denmark. And what do you remember about those stages? Because you got him off the opening weekend in decent enough shape. Well, um, the, the first part was is that that was when uh, Cervelo 
you know, despite their, their troubles, they introduced the, the new P5 time trial bike. And that was at that point, probably the, the fastest bike out there. All of our guys in that, in that opening time trial, we had the entire team in, in the top 25, I think, or, I mean, it was, it was, you know, even guys that weren't really time trialists were, were right in there, um, you know, with Alex Rasmussen getting third on the stage, right out of the pipe that everyone was on a confidence high. And so then the next worry was, of course, is it going to be windy? Because if it's windy early in a stage race, when people are still fresh, that's not riders thing, but it wasn't that windy. And we did have a really good team for crosswinds. I mean, it was Sebastian Rosler and Robbie Hunter and Ramunas Navardauskas. And I mean, those guys were, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't climb over a molehill, but man, they could, they could go on the flat. They kept him out of trouble all the way through Denmark and, and we came out of it unscathed. And at that point, coming out of it unscathed, we thought, okay, now we'll adjust the goal from top 10 to top five. Around the final couple of bends here come Garmin Barracuda. Look at this time here. Katusha's time, 37.09, is under threat. They're about to get on the cobbles before you know it. It's going to be tight, tighter than you might have thought here. Well, they've uh, had their own issues, don't forget out there. I mean, I think the things that mainly characterized the race from our side, um, as you say yourself, the fact that Purito could gather time bonuses here and there. And then you had Ivan Basso with his uh, liquid gas team who were always kind of keen to take the race on and to pull and to keep a lid on things. And that really kind of played into our hands because we had a good team which you could see it by the fact that, you know, the result that they did in the team time trial. But it wasn't a team that was built for, you know, winning the GC or controlling the race, you know, in the high mountains. Here we go. The line beckons, and I think they are. Garmin Barracuda have cracked the nut here. Five seconds is what they've made up. What a superb performance by them. They'll be absolutely delighted. Well, they... In that team time trial, I mean, we were very confident we were going to win it. Interestingly, we didn't win it by very much. Uh, Katusha was right on our heels, which was which was very a little bit unexpected, and and ended up being significant because um, Joaquin Rodriguez was you know the the guy who challenged Ryder the most in in the overall standings of the Giro that year. When you go into the pink jersey like that, if anyone on the team goes into the pink jersey like that people let you ride at the front you don't have to fight for it anymore you know so now he's confident he's got teammate big muscly teammates that can power the way through the peloton and he's got the rest of the peloton kind of like letting him go where he wanted to go without fighting him too much for the wheel the perfect recipe for success for him huge crowd here outside la live it's for an australian nathan Haas on an american team garma barracuda well, you can see the damage is done. There's the main field now. The Peloton are, are coming very quickly indeed. I, I was a tour of California. Charlie Regalius was like, he was a, he was our, our point person for that race. It was, you know, it was like his first big race as a director. When Jonathan first reached out to me the previous season about working with the team, the kind of idea that he came up with in the end was... Um, to just 
basically be the point person for Italy. They wanted somebody who had some experience in Italy, you know, the, the logistics and the hotels and how you manage them and stuff. You know, I was working on a on a day rate contractor thing. I wasn't on a sort of full-time job. And the Giro was kind of the main project. So that turned out to be an exciting one to start with. <laughs> I'm quite grateful to Jonathan that he gave me the chance to sort of hang around, to be honest. And I gather you were working with Alan Piper, who... Uh, yeah, good deal older and more experienced than you at that time. So that must have been quite a good uh, sort of tandem pairing, really. You had all bases covered. Yeah, I mean, I, I got a really great schooling, to be honest, because, you know, Alan uh, he was much more senior than me. You know, he had many more years experience and so on, but he was also quite keen to sort of move with the time. So he was... Uh, he was a good teacher, very, very thorough, very organized. En el día de hoy, tanto David Arroyo como Carlos Astre y como Xavi Tondo son los grandes triunfadores porque van a llegar con una ventaja enorme respecto al grupo de, de favoritos. Ahí estamos viendo a Carlos Astre por detrás que viene en tercer lugar. Wild things can happen. I think the geography of, uh, of Italy lends itself quite well to sort of ambush style racing. You know, anything can really happen. I say in a way the race or the style of racing actually sort of reflects in quite a nice way, you know, life in Italy. You know, you're always on your toes and you never know what's going to happen. And it's quite a sort of bumpy ride at times, I'd say. During this series of Kilometer Zero, we've been hearing from Team Novo Nordisk rider Sam Brand, who's a type 1 diabetic. This is his audio diary from the recent tour of Hellas. Still gassing on fueling, not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter, never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Supersapiens. Hey everyone, so Sam here from Team Novanotis again. Crazy day. Stage one tour of Hellas. Um, we had a few moves, myself included, up the road. Uh, Peter tried to make the break, got in a good move, but then it was brought back together and it kind of um, was a strong break that went on the first climb, uh, up and down all day. Trying to settle into the diabetes management as all my teammates are um, on the first stage of a very hot race. So extra cautious. Um, everybody just on top of their blood glucose management, which is, like I say, super important. So um, managed to work well, did my job uh, today. So really happy to support uh, the guys heading into the sort of the final climb before the finish. Uh, did good and uh, finished with uh, David and Andrea in the top 20. So a uh, good start to the tour, uh, full gas, uh, no breaks, but um, really happy with how it went. Uh, we have. Strange one now, I transfer to the airport, uh, we fly to Athens and then prepare for stage two tomorrow. I mean, the atmosphere amongst the team that, that year was fantastic as well. We had Charlie Wigelius as our director, who was young and new to, to being a director. And then we had uh, Alan Piper for the second half. So he came in, you know, and it was just classic rock. We had Zeppelin going on in the bus at all times. I mean, Jack Bauer, for example, was 
brought up in a real religious family and he was playing the bass guitar and reading a book on Zeppelin, but he had never heard, you know, when the levee breaks, he had never heard all these things. He's so sheltered. And, and, and for a kid from you know the burbs of Chicago who has grown up on all this, I'm like, I, I don't understand how you could even make it through a day without hearing one of these songs. So, you know, that, that kind of vibe, I think really helped Ryder as well, you know, being in a very positive environment the entire time and not getting overly stressed. We let the stress go to the Italians and we just cherry picked the, the stages that we could do well in. Yes, well, poor old Tom Bonin got himself second place. Peter Sargent is unbelievable. There's confirmation there. Sargent gets ahead of Tom Bonin, uh, Gerhard Scholick of uh, Germany, and uh, Omega Pharma Quickstep, and another German rider up there in third place. Uh, Roger so you were at the Tour of California, and I mean, I kind of, a bit of an intake of breath there, because that does make it feel like a lifetime ago. You know, um, when we had the Tour of California, almost sort of challenging. And obviously you, as... I mean, you're an international team, but a, a very strong American heart to the team. Um, that pull between California and Italy must have been quite challenging to um, balance, especially when you're trying to ride for a GC position in, in a Grand Tour, but you've got this you know, other obligation in California and an important one. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- at that point in time, Tour California was maybe the the second most important race of the year after the Tour de France for our, for our sponsors. Um, and the fact that we put this strong emphasis on the Giro was a little bit contrary to to that pull, um, but we felt like we had you know made the right choice in sort of not sending too many chiefs to either one of the races and sort of dividing it equally and letting everyone have their chance. The Giro is it, it's it's not the race of the knockout punch like the Tour de France is. It's the race of of many days of just you know sort of grinding and and the contenders kind of waiting to see who gets out you know worn out first we knew you know with rodriguez being super close and scarponi actually not being that far off at that point in time uh that we knew that Ryder wouldn't necessarily be you know the best of that group of that top tier in the first you know, 16 days of the race or 15 days of the race. His uncanny specialty has always been his ability, you know, in the last week, last three days, whatever, of a, of a grand tour. Um, so it was at that point in time just a matter of keeping him close, keeping him close, keeping him close, keeping him close. Or, you know, and, and he knew how to do this. I mean, Ryder knew that about himself and he, he knew not to to be foolish you know early on and to just sort of be there be there be there be there be there and wait until you know wait until things physically shifted back in his favor with everyone else getting tired and, and Ryder not getting tired. To me, the 2012 Giro was the last really great Grand Tour to watch um, in that it, it, you know, we went through, uh, you know, an era of, of sky dominance. Um, and now it looks like we're heading into an era of Pogacar dominance. 
I, I don't want to say that the other Grand Tours are, are not, you know, they're, they're, they can also be interesting, but it, but the gaps have seemed to be a little bit, the races may be a little bit more predictable, the gaps a little bit more yawning. That was a race that you did not know who was going to win until the last day. Che vuole andare la caccia della maglia rosa è separato dalla maglia rosa da 30 secondi e potrebbe davvero riuscire a riconquistarla in questa tappa interminabile con l'azione strepitosa di Ejedal nel finale. 900 alla fine, passo in difficoltà. As far as Ejedal and Garmin Barracuda were concerned, the Giro d'Italia was perfectly poised going into the final mountain stage on the last Saturday of the race. The day before, the Canadian had unexpectedly trimmed Rodriguez's 30-second lead to just 17 seconds, with a Pareto-like attack on the road to Alpe de Pampiago. With the time trial to come in Milan, the pink jersey was well within reach if everything went to plan. But they had not reckoned on a daring, dangerous attack featuring Thomas de Ghent as the race approached its final mountain, the Stelvio. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb and Lionel Burney. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.